0: that uh, many of us are very familiar with, a beloved Christmas carol. And by far, it is known as the most widely published Christmas song of all time. But did you know it's actually the most widely published hymn of all time as well. It was written over 300 years ago this year. It's its 300th anniversary, so we can celebrate in that as well. And it was written by a famous songwriter, a guy by the name of Isaac Watts. Who also wrote some songs that some of us are probably familiar with. A a song, uh, a hymn at the cross. Probably know the song at the cross some of us here, And also another familiar one, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. A very well-known song. And one that, uh, that he wrote as well. But by far Joy to the World is the most famous song that he's written. It's a song that tells of all creation... Of heaven and of earth, rejoicing at the arrival of their king. And that king being Jesus, who who redeems all people and all creation. And Romans talks about how all of creation will one day be redeemed from the curse of the sin that, that, that started back in Genesis chapter three, when, when the sin entered the world and creation was cursed. And how he rules. How he rules in truth and in grace. And there's this call in this song for all of creation to celebrate God's love. Described in these manners. Now perhaps as you look at the words of that song, it, it paints a picture a little bit different than we see in the world around us this particular Christmas. Perhaps as we look at the words of the song, it, it paints a picture a little different than you see in your own life and in your own heart this Christmas. That's why this season of Advent is referred to as a time of preparation, but also a time of anticipation. Because we anticipate things that are not fully yet revealed within our lives, within ourselves. That doesn't mean the promises of God are not good and true and available to us. It means sometimes we ourselves are not fully entered into them in a particular time or season, such as the time of Advent. So as we go through these next few weeks, I want to ask you a question. What are you most anticipating this Christmas season? Here's what I mean by that. When you think about all of the pressures and stresses you're probably feeling with it being December 1st. There's so much to do. There's so many places to go. There's things to buy and and organize and plan. And where does it all fit in? Also ask the question, what does it all point? Towards? What, what does it all lead towards? Perhaps let's rephrase the question a little bit. But we can rephrase the question by asking this. What do you plan on rejoicing over this Christmas season? Because there's many things in our life that bring us joy. That's great. But what do you plan on rejoicing over this Christmas season? See, many of us will find joy in, in things like decorations. Uh, particularly... Uh, The guys like to experience and explore this idea of exterior illumination and be the king of the block with the most Christmas lights on their house. Sometimes people will hire interior decorators this time of year just to transform their homes. Many of us have plans to spend time with relatives, either coming to our house or going to their house, people we haven't seen for a year or more at times. And we spend time in fellowship and reconnecting and hoping Uncle Bob doesn't bring up you-know-what over Christmas dinner. And then there's the food. My word, the food we get to enjoy this time of year. But perhaps we don't look forward to the weight gain that goes along with that said food. Or maybe for some of us, what we find joy in this Christmas season is a newer tradition that started to really, really take root in the past little while. And that being the Hallmark Christmas movie marathon that begins each year. You know what it is, 24-7 Christmas movies. You can go to hallmark.com and download your Christmas viewing guide. They even have their own clothing line now where you can order a This Is My Hallmark Movie Watching Sweater so that you can curl up with your Hallmark mug and watch those movies 24-7. Personally, I think it's getting a little out of hand. Reason being, there are people who comment and complain that they are playing Christmas carols far too early into the season each year. But did you know that Hallmark starts showing their movies on October 26th? That's three months ahead of Christmas 24-7 Christmas movie viewing. Maybe you find joy in those sorts of things. Now, When you ask kids this question, you'll get sort of different answers. When you say, what do you rejoice over this year? What do you anticipate? What are you looking forward to? What they hear is, here's my Christmas wish list. Here's what I want for Christmas. But sometimes they have better answers than that, and it goes beyond those things. So, you know, we are curious what that might look like. So we actually took some time last week, and we asked some of our children, what do you plan on rejoicing this year? And here's some of their answers. my in the snow and like going sledding. And I get to go to my Auntie Shelly's and and I get to lots of presents. I'm looking forward to, we're going to decorate the t- tree because we have a Christmas tree. That I get lots of presents. And Dad it's to have family time. Maybe, I get, I get, maybe, maybe presents. I like spending time with my dad. My family, the presents, eggnog. I love eggnog. Uh, um, I go to my grandma's house and everybody in the family like even the like grandmas and great-grandmas come to her house and we have like a big Christmas. Um, presents. I like that. Anything else that you can think of? Um, no. Um, that Jesus is born. That there's snow. Uh. Snow? Making snow angels. What do you think rejoicing means? Mm, Donuts. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Many good thoughts in there. You know, I personally love Christmas and I love all that goes along with Christmas the food, the people decorations, and even Christmas donuts. I enjoy. But here's the thing. Here's the thing I want to draw us towards today. Is that none of these things are worth rejoicing over. See, none of the things that we've thought about thus far, even that, that perhaps were suggested on the video, have any lasting inherent value. You see, the decorations will one day go back in the box. The Hallmark movies will end until next fall. Gifts that you receive that you anticipated so much will soon become commonplace in your lives. And the food, well, the food's going to be gone. Well, okay, in January, after you go to the gym, the food will be gone. But in the words of the song, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Now that is worth rejoicing over. And that. Is an event that changed history. It changed history for people 2,000 years ago. It changes history for us today. And it changes for the people who are yet even to come and hear of the joy of their king's arrival. And so as we kick off this Christmas season, can I challenge you for the next 24 days? For the next 24 days, can I challenge you to enjoy, find joy in all of your family traditions. Enjoy all of the festivities that go with this season. Enjoy all of that. Find joy in all the good things that have to do with Christmas. But remember to only rejoice in the Lord, who is the giver of all good things. And have a distinction between those two things. Can I challenge you to do that for the next 24 days? Cause it's gonna be a challenge. In the world around us, there are it requires this intentional effort, this intentional decision, especially during the Christmas year, because there are so many good things that compete for our attention. But this isn't new. This is actually a timeless challenge that has existed throughout humanity. You see, even we open our Bibles and we go back to the Old Testament and we read story after story of how God's people, the Israelites, chased after other things, how they were trying to, at moments, rejoice in other things other than the Lord. Now, God was always remaining faithful to them, to his promises to them, his his commitment to them. Them, not so much. They're kind of back and forth a lot. There's numerous times there's this cycle that happens where they would disobey God and kind of wander off after other things. They would find themselves shortly in a moment of disaster because of the choices that they had made. And then they would cry out to God and say, God, rescue us, save us. He would send prophets. He would send judges. He would send people to to call them back and he would rescue his people and bring them back into relationship with him. This cycle repeated time and time again as they chased after other things. And he, he was kind of getting tired of the cycle. And so he would send prophets and he would warn them. He'd call them back. But he warned them. And eventually he reached a point where he said, you know, folks, eventually I'm going to give you a taste of the path that you're leading towards. I won't show up as quickly to rescue you. And eventually it happened that God gave them over to their attractions to the things of the world. And the result was they ended up in exile. Their lands were taken over. Their cities were destroyed. And the magnificence of Jerusalem, its walls, its incredible temple, lie in ruins. But God hadn't washed his hands of them, though. See, even in the midst of that, God promised that one day he would bring them all back. He would gather them back and he would restore all of these good things to them. And that one day arrived, actually during the time of Ezra, who was a priest, and and Nehemiah, who was a governor in the region. And they started to come back. After more than a generation, after a couple generations, they started to come back from exile, and they started to rebuild. And as this was happening, as all these good things were happening in Jerusalem as they were rebuilding, the people came together one day, and they went to Ezra, the, the priest, and they said, We want you to read to us the word of God. Now it would have been a long time, and we read about this in Nehemiah chapter eight, where they decided that they needed to gather at this public square in Jerusalem, and, and they even built a special wooden platform for, for Ezra to stand on, and they, they kind of made a moment of it, like a special event of it, as, as Ezra opened the word of God for the first time in as long as any of them could remember in this corporate gathering. and he read from what's called the Book of the Law. And as he read. What they heard was, was incredible to them. You know, sometimes when we read the Bible, if we're totally honest, we, we, we kind of read it in a way that's similar to reading our terms of service for our iPhone upgrade, right? Where it's like, I'm gonna, I know there's good stuff in there, I know there's important things I should be aware of, like how Apple's going to track me and everything I buy and everything I do, everything I search for, and they're going to keep their tabs on me. I, I know there's important things in there I should be aware of, but we kind of skim through the terms of service, scroll to the bottom, click the button, and done. But that's not how Israel approached the Word of God in this particular case. They stood around this platform, listening to Ezra read the Word of God, and they stood there intently listening for six hours, as he read to them. And what he read to them was a story of God's love. He read to them about how God had made promises to them, and they had made promises in the past to him. He read about how God had been so good to them, and so faithful to them. And what they heard, it sounded something like a marriage vow, like a sacred promise Like these covenants that they had entered into together that God had made with them and they had made with him and that God had kept. Something like when God was saying, I promise to be faithful to you, to to help you and to care for you. I promise to respect you and to protect you. With unfailing love from this day forward, God was saying to them, I will stand by you in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad And as they listened to the word of God being read to them, they could not escape the truth that while God had been faithful to them in these covenants and these vows, they had broken theirs. And when that realization came to them, it tells us in Nehemiah chapter 8 that the whole nation fell to the ground. They fell to the ground in a mixture of worship for just how good and how faithful God was to them, but also in the realization of how unfaithful and how sinful. They had been. And as they sit there in the rubble of Jerusalem, they sit there in the rubble of what their past choices had led them to because of other things they had rejoiced over, as they weep in the rubble, Nehemiah stands up. And in Nehemiah 8, verse 9, he says this. He says, this is a holy day of the Lord your God. Do not mourn and do not weep. What he's saying to them is this. He's saying this is not a day for sorrow. This is not a time of God's judgment upon you. This is no time to weep. Folks, this is a day of renewal. This is a day where we are turning our hearts back to God and God is lifting up our faces. He is looking us in the eye and with warmth and with sincerity he is saying to us, I said I do then and I still do today. Ladies and gentlemen of West Meadows, hear those words in your life. Hear those words today that no matter what your past may be, no matter how close you may have been to God at one and then you kind of wandered off for a while. No matter what sort of rubble you may find yourself in because of your life choices. No matter how many times you may have heard of God's love, but then just, just kind of pushed it aside and just kind of rejected it and thought no self determination is the way to go i'll i'll find happiness on my own apart from god I'll, I'll work until i find the right job or or until i find the right spouse the right friends and then i'll be happy happiness is not found in those things regardless of how many times that may have happened hear the words that god loves you that god smiles upon you and he invites you to enter into or to renew your relationship with him today. And when that happens for Israel, but also for us today, we find we have reason to celebrate. We have reason to rejoice. And that's, that's what Nehemiah tells them, because he says in, in verse 10, he says, Go and enjoy choice food, go and enjoy sweet drinks. Go and and he says in verse ten, send gifts, send to those who have nothing prepared for them. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Kind of reminds me of our Christmas banquet last night where where we were celebrating the start of the season and we enjoyed choice food, we enjoyed sweet drink, and with the launch of our Angel Dream program, we were entering into this time of giving of gifts to those who have little or nothing to celebrate the goodness of God this Christmas, this festivity that we can engage in. But notice the reason. That wasn't the reason. Those were all the good things they were enjoying. That was the event they are participating in. But notice the reason. Notice what the source and the object of their joy is. It's the joy of the Lord. You see, there were many good things around them. There were many good things that were happening to them. They had settled into their towns and they were setting up marketplaces. Life was returning to normal from what they had remembered and had been told. They were rebuilding their city walls. And all the buildings that go with it, which provided them a sense of security and strength. They were rebuilding the massive temple It gave them a source of pride and and identity as a nation. And yet even though all of these good things were happening around them, they wept. They wept because they knew that there was something greater. There was a greater need. There was a greater source of joy than they could find in these good things. Because here's the thing. You can build a kingdom... You can create all sorts of things. You can devise all sorts of plans for yourself. You can plot your own course in life. You can build a kingdom. But without a king, it's empty. Without a king, it has no power. Without a king, it has no lasting joy and is not worth rejoicing over. We see this not only in in people who are followers of Christ, but in the world around us. Uh, the actor and comedian Jim Carrey is famously quoted as saying, I think everybody should get rich. I think everybody should be famous and do everything they ever dreamed about, just so they can find out that that's not the answer. Deion Sanders, who many of us will remember from, from a few years ago, famous football player and baseball player, the only person ever to play in a Super Bowl and in a World Series. When he shares his testimony, he says that after he won Super Bowl twenty nine. Something that he had worked his whole life for. Something he had dreamed of since he was knee high. After winning Super Bowl twenty nine, after the celebrations, after he bought himself a new Lamborghini, after the parties and the interviews, he was empty. He says in his testimony that in spite of the fact that he had money, he had women, he had fame, he had status in the world of sports, he says, I still felt empty inside and I even thought about killing myself. There was a person in his life who loved him and shared the truth of God's love with him. Gave him a Bible, but he set it aside as he continued to chase after other things. Until one sleepless night, he got up, he opened it, and he read the words of Romans 10.9 that say, If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you will believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And he says, something inside him said, yes, this is for you. And that night he asked Jesus into his life. The king had come. See, you can build a kingdom. But without a king, it's empty of power. And there is no means of rejoicing and lasting joy. For Israel, God was their king. His favor was upon them. They had renewed their vows with one another. And his joy was over this renewal of relationship where they were his people. He was their God. And his joy over that was their strength. A strength that would allow them to say words like, joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. And so they celebrated. They celebrated in this reality. But this was no ordinary celebration. You see, all of this took place during a time of year when God had previously commanded them to hold a certain festival. A festival they had read about as Ezra was reading to them. A festival that's referred to as the Feast of Tabernacles. Which was actually very fitting. You see, because this wasn't just any feast. It was an eight-day event that was bookended where people would not go to work, they would have these big feasts, and they would bring all sorts of sacrifices to the temple. And this took place near the end of the season of harvest when when they had a chance to rejoice in God's provision for them. They could celebrate how much God had cared for them and given them and provided for them in the present. But also they could look back upon their ancestors as they wandered in the wilderness and God had cared for them and provided and protected them then as well. It was a time of celebrating past faithfulness and God's current provision through the good things he was giving them in that moment as well. And it was referred to as the Feast of Tabernacles or sometimes the Feast of Booths because people would would build and live in these temporary huts made out of tree branches. And it was a further symbolic statement that that reminded them of in the past how they had been freed from Egypt, which was a a temporary home that they had lived in. But that God had freed them from Egypt. But it was also an opportunity to remind them that in the future God would send a Messiah... Who would free them from their sins, which was their temporary condition in which they lived as well. So, this Feast of Tabernacles is an incredible opportunity to rejoice in all of the good things that could bring them great joy, but to rejoice in the Lord who is the giver of all these good things. Feast of Tabernacles. And God had talked to them about these things through prophets. He had talked to these things about the word of, through the word of God. And Israel was rejoicing in God's enduring love for them. But did you know that we have something even greater? We have something greater than prophets. And we have the greatest gift, the greatest revelation of God's love. And we read about this in the opening words of the book of Hebrews when it says that in the past God spoke to our ancestors through prophets and many times in many various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son whom he appointed heir of all things and whom he also made the universe. Speaking of the son of God, he's referring to Jesus who was born on Christmas Day. When God became flesh and dwelt among us. And he describes him here as an heir and creator of all things. Meaning Jesus has authority and power over all creation. Which kind of sounds like a king, doesn't it? It kind of sounds like a king to me. But did you also know that during Jesus' earthly ministry, that there was this one time recorded in John chapter 7, when Jesus himself went... And participated in the Feast of Tabernacles. We read about that in John chapter 7. Where for the first few days of this Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus kind of laid low. He, he wasn't going to go at first and his family went on ahead of him. And then he, he decided to, to go himself anyways. And, and as he went, he laid low for a couple of days. But then around the middle, when, when, when the most number of people had arrived, when the crowds would be at their maximum, he went to the temple and started teaching. And in accordance with, with the festivals, he, he was teaching about how he himself was dependent upon his father. How, how all that he knew to teach, all of his ability, his mission came from the father. And as he was teaching over these days, there was a division. There are some people who, who, who just love what they are hearing and they, they started to follow him. And others, they were pretty divided and they were, they were, they were pretty skeptical of what was taking place and, and, and what all he was saying. They were just there for the festivities. They weren't there for hearing from Jesus, who was claiming to be the Messiah. And then, on the last day, on the last day, at the biggest point of celebration, in the middle of all the celebrations taking place, Jesus stands up. And in a loud voice, he declares, in John chapter 7, verse 37, 38, he says, Let anyone who thirsts come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. To grasp the power of the words that he's saying here, we need to understand the context of what's taking place. You see, throughout the weeks of this festival, one of the ways that they would celebrate and remember is priests would go down to the river and they would get a container and they filled fill it with water. They would walk up to the altar, and they would pour it on the altar, remembering God's past provision of giving them water from a rock when their ancestors were in the wilderness. On the final day, they would carry water up to the altar. They would walk around it seven times. And it's during this moment that Jesus stands up, and he says, if you are thirsty, come to me. The contrast will be powerful upon all who are there to have years to understand. He was saying, You can rejoice in a container of water that will be empty very, very soon, and you'll have to go fill it again and repeat time and time again. Or you can place your faith in Jesus Christ, who will quench that thirst, who you will never be thirsty again in your spirit. And from him rivers of living water will flow from you. As he refers to the Holy Spirit that comes to indwell every person who gives their life to Christ. And counsels them, convicts them, and comforts them during times of need. If they place their faith in Jesus Christ. There's a choice in what we're going to rejoice in. Things that are good of this world but fleeting. Or the things that are eternal and fill up. Completely, And such is the nature of the challenge I present to you at the start of this Christmas season. What do you plan on rejoicing over this Christmas? A cup of water? Which is important. When you are thirsty, it will bring you incredible joy. But it is limited and it is fleeting. It is not sustaining. Or will you rejoice in Jesus Christ, who is the provider of all good things? And is the only thing worthy of our praise. I know there are many here who personally have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know him and you're striving in various ways to live with him and for him. And I believe that you are anticipating celebrating him as the reason for the season. If so, may this challenge be a reminder to you to be vigilant. Because there are many distractions... There are many stresses that come this time of year that want to steal your joy. They want to replace Jesus as the reason for rejoicing in your life. But if you do not personally know Jesus Christ, if you've never accepted that gift of forgiveness for your sins, if you've never made him the king of your life, then perhaps you've built a kingdom for yourself and by yourself, but you know that it feels empty. Because it really has no king. If that's the case, know that the reason Jesus was born was to be God's sacrifice on our part. To pay the price for our sins that we were not able to take care of ourselves. These sins that led to separation between us and God. He came, died, bridged the gap that we may live through him. And you can choose to receive him. You can choose to do so... And when we enter, allow him to enter into our lives. Suddenly there's a new reality of familiar words that we sing at Christmas time. If you enter Jesus into your life this Christmas, I promise you that the words joy to the world will be new for you this year. Because the Lord has come into your life, and you have every reason with all of creation to receive and to rejoice in her king. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, at the start of this month, at the start of this season, that you would be our king. Lord, that we would not allow other things in this world to distract us. That we would keep you firmly at the center. God, for those of us here who have a relationship with you, I pray that we would be mindful of this. We would be vigilant to, to keep you as the reason for the season to enjoy the festivities, the family, the food, the good times, the giving of gifts and caring and loving one another, but that we reserve rejoicing for you alone, Lord. And God, any who are here who do not yet know you, Father, I, I pray that the Spirit, as you've spoken to people in the past, would speak to them in this moment as well and say, this is what is needed. This is what will fill up what you are searching. That Jesus Christ came to live with you. To show you that life with Jesus is better than any other option this world will suggest to you. And that he will transform your life. Your view of the season. And he will bring you to live with him eternally. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. We pray this all in your holy name.